84 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis, and we are back after taking the last Monday off for the New Year's. We are back with our traditional um, hour-long you know, report covering the week in the NBA, um, different from our Free Talk Friday episodes on Fridays, of course. Again, I'm Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. You'll find all of my other work for Hoops Habit, The Dream Shake, NBA Lead, and, of course, news and updates for our podcast here. You can find our previous episodes on our Blog Talk Radio page, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are always brought to you by Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94FEET for 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials and Daily Fantasy Nerd. Check them out for some really great daily fantasy tips. Just want to remind you, uh, because this will be the third time we've done our hour-long episode in our new uh, segmented style, so in case you've missed our previous episodes, you can check them out on the site or on iTunes or wherever, Um, but basically what we do is, because the the podcast is called the 94 Feet Report, we are going to basically travel the 94 feet of a basketball court while covering the hot topics and performances and teams of the NBA. So, you know, we start off with the baseline, we move to full court press, which is more of a main segment. Half court heave is a is a prediction segment. Um, three points are just three random points about um, the NBA that I like to make, you know, stuff that I saw on Twitter or, you know, games that I watch, players that I watch, etc. Then we move to something foul, which is basically what we used to do um, in worst of the week, our segment before. And then um, we conclude with and one, which is something to look forward to um, in the future. Usually it's the next coming week, but sometimes it's a month or a, a key stretch of, of schedule, uh, stuff like that. So we traveled the 94 feet of a basketball court, but covering the NBA, the past week in the NBA for that matter, in these unique segments. We think it's fun, unique, and a, a great way to get your, uh, you know, find out what you uh need and want to know about the NBA um, on a weekly basis. So without further ado, we will begin with the baseline. And now it's time for the baseline. So in today's baseline, we will be talking uh, about some hot teams and some cold teams um, because there have been, you know, there are a bunch of both for that matter. Um, so we'll dive into, uh, I have four hot teams and uh, four cold teams on my list that I like to dive into and just, you know, spend a minute or so on each team, you know. You, you got to give credit where credit's due and you got to point out, you know, the problems of some teams when they are having some problems. So without further ado, let's start off with my favorite team, the Houston Rockets, who are, um, I would, you know, pretty confidently say the hottest team in the NBA. Um, they've won eight straight games. They just won, uh, we are recording this Sunday, January 8th, the evening of Sunday, January 8th. The Rockets just won in Toronto to get their eighth straight victory. They are now 19-2. and two. I'll repeat that. They have 19 wins and two losses since December 1st. They are 30-9 and nine on the season. Keep in mind, they only won 41 games all of last season. So, um, so they're 19-2 and two in since, since December 1st. They are third offensively and 16th defensively. Um, pretty much what you would want for the Rockets if you're going to be a successful team. A really an elite offense, top three, and about a league average defense is basically the Rockets' best recipe for success, and they are executing it perfectly. Again, eight straight wins. They were just they had that uh, ten game winning streak. Now they, then they you know they uh, had two losses in between there, and now they they're on an eight game winning streak. James Harden is making a serious case for MVP, and we'll get to that in our full-court press main segment, for that matter. Um, but the Rockets are the hottest team in the NBA, and are. Um, I was talking with someone, or I saw it on Twitter. Someone said they're, they are low-key dangerous out west, and yeah, they really are. They're a low-key dangerous 
they're still kind of under the radar kind of contender so get to follow them but Rockets are soaring uh, right now um, and the hottest team in the NBA the next uh, one of the hottest teams also in the NBA comes from the Eastern Conference the Indiana Pacers who have won five straight games and um, you know after that really really rough start to the season people were questioning their offseason they seem to be getting into some kind of groove five straight they are 15 and 5 at home and I think they're 5 and 13 on the road so listen if you get them on the road you're probably going to beat them if you play them in Indiana you're probably going to lose really they are 16th offensively and 15th defensively which is basically the exact hallmark of a league average team because they're they are essentially league average on both ends of the floor um, Jeff Teague has stepped up his play Miles Turner is continuing to impress Paul George you know has fallen off a lot of people's superstar lists, but you know he still is a star for that matter. Um, and the Pacers look like they figured something out. Hopefully, they, I mean for them, hopefully for their sake, I picked them to make the playoffs. So, you know, hopefully they can keep this together. They've won five straight. They figured something out. So we'll see if the Pacers can do that and kind of make up for that really, really rough, cold start to the season uh, for the Pacers. A really interesting. Um, hot team of the Atlanta Hawks who I believe have won five straight games but the real question when you're talking about the Hawks now is you know they already made that trade for Kyle Korver they've already said that they're shipping uh, they're shopping for that matter they're shopping Paul Millsap Tabo Sevalosha Tim Hardaway Jr. you know this is a team that you know they started off like the Pacers they started off you know really cold they were really struggling and then uh, as soon as they start sh- you know shopping around their players with you know for trades they start winning. They've won again. They've I think they've won five straight. It might be four or it might be six. I don't have the standings exactly in front of me, but they've won five straight. They're in the playoffs picture right now, and here they are shipping Kyle Korver to the Cavs, who are a contender in the East, obviously, and one of their rivals. And then they're probably going to trade Millsap and probably trade Cephalosho and or Hardaway Jr. in those deals because you know those guys are um, at least for Cephalosho and Millsap up, are upcoming free agents, and the Hawks want to get something because they lost Al Horford without getting something in return. But it's really interesting that they're essentially blowing things up even though they are a playoff team and have won five straight. So keep your eye on the Hawks. They're winning games, but at the same time trading away pieces, trading away good contending pieces like a team that's, you know, not in the playoffs. So, but they're still one of the hottest teams in the league. So the Hawks are one of the more interesting teams to watch uh, in the next couple of weeks. And the final hot team I want to talk about, the Boston Celtics, who have won four straight games. Uh, are eight and two in their last ten, and are now up to seventh offensively, and still struggling on defense. They're 18th defensively, and you know it's interesting because you know the Rockets, who were predicted to have a bottom five defense, bottom ten for sure defense, are 16th defensively. Meanwhile, the Celtics, who were, who were a good defensive team last season, have really good defensive players in Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, Al Horford, Jay Crowder, are 18th defensively. And I know they had some injuries to start the season, but you know, if they can really improve that defense to above, to either league average, you know, 15th or above, while keeping that offense in the top 10, you know, again, we talked about it in a previous episode, if you're top 10 on both ends of the floor, that, that is a hallmark of an elite team. Um, now, you can be an elite team like the Rockets, who are, you know, comfortably in that elite team discussion while being kind of a little bit more lopsided, but usually you have to be at least league average on both ends, um, or at least elite, elite on one end of the floor and, and league average on the other. Um, but the Celtics have figured something out. They've won four straight, eight and two in the last ten. And um, after the Rockets beat the Raptors today, the Celtics are only one game behind the second seed in the East. So the Eastern Conference might actually be getting more interesting than we think. Um, you know, flying under the radar for in terms of an interesting conference to watch, at least for the two seed, for that matter. So those are the hot teams. We got Rockets, Pacers, Hawks, and Celtics. Four really hot teams in the NBA. You gotta watch out for them in the next couple of weeks, especially the Hawks, because we don't know what kind of moves they're gonna make and and the trades that the Hawks make 
will probably make over the next couple of weeks will probably define the NBA season. If they ship Mills up to Toronto, maybe they ship him to Boston, maybe he goes to Sacramento, maybe even Denver for that matter. So watch out for the Hawks. And so quickly, let's talk about some cold teams because, you know, there are hot teams, of course, but there are always going to be some cold teams. The Brooklyn Nets, who have now lost six straight, they have now have the worst record in the league. They just lost to the 76ers in Brooklyn. And the Celtics were certainly happy to hear that because the Celtics have the pick swap with the Nets, so they will be getting the Nets pick um, this season in this upcoming draft. And now the thing, like the Hawks, the thing to really watch about the Nets is that they're shopping Brook Lopez now. And, you know, Brook Lopez can make a difference for a contending team. But the problem is that the Nets are asking for two first-rounders, which is what you're you're probably not going to get that unless you really find a desperate GM who really wants to make a splash and get his team to the playoffs or get his team, you know, a real shot at a title. So we'll see what they can do and what they can get for Brook Lopez. Again, that's another trade that could really kind of define the NBA season depending on where they ship him. Um, but yeah, the Nets now the worst record in the league, six straight losses. Jeremy Lin's been battling injuries. Just you, you're basically what you expected from the Nets. I don't think a lot of people expected them to be worse than the Seventy Sixers, but I think um, a good amount did. So nothing really surprising here. Uh, another cold team, the Nuggets, five straight losses. Um, it came out that they're shopping their veteran players like Gallinari and Chandler. Um, probably they're also shopping for Reed and Nurkic um, as well. You know, they've got to identify those building blocks. Is, it, is Jokic the building block? I think it, it certainly should be. Is Moody a part of the future? Because he's been really inconsistent this season, hasn't shown a lot of flashes of great potential. Um, they've got to shop their veterans because they've got to get some young pieces, some draft picks, because this team is as constructed as a weird mishmash of, mishmash of veterans and, and young players. It's not ready to contend, not ready for a top five, top ten pick. So, you know, they've got to get some trades to really either go full in the youth movement or get some veterans in there to start winning. You know, Malone has been publicly criticizing the defense and the lack of veteran leadership. So who knows what they're going to do. But again, five straight losses for the Nuggets. The Pelicans have lost three straight. And the interesting thing is that they actually finally, Donatus Maniunas, the ex-Rocket, is back in the NBA. He signed with the Pelicans, uh, took a lot less money than he would have got from the Rockets. But it's over. The Rockets are clearly moving on without him. Um... And Demo, I think it's a good signing for the Pelicans. I mean, I think he could be a nice logical fit next to Anthony Davis. But again, the Pelicans have lost three straight. And every time people start to think about them as a kind of under-the-radar contender for the eighth seed, they go out and they go on a losing streak like this. And that's why they are usually not in the playoffs. Um, and you see guys like Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson leave uh, New Orleans publicly publicly criticize how unhappy they were in New Orleans and you see Gordon and Anderson having really really great seasons for the Rockets who are winning a lot of games so there's some kind of tension underlying problems in New Orleans going on there so again again the Pelicans find themselves on the list of cold teams in the NBA and the final cold team I want to talk about are the Timberwolves just when you think you know they had a good week a couple weeks ago uh, when they won two straight and now they've lost four straight and now they have the worst record in the west and they are actually really close to being passed by the 76ers in terms of record, and that's not anything you want to hear. Um, again, it looks increasingly by the week that Tom Thibodeau is not the right guy for this team. He, he, he is a win-now coach. This team is not a win-now team. They've got three great young players, all averaging over 20 points per game, but they just can't do the little things to win games and close out games. They've choked so many double-digit leads in the second half. Looks like they're on their way to probably a top-five pick at this rate. Um, and some serious questioning of Tom Thibodeau as uh, head coach and GM there as well. So the cold teams, again, Nets, Nuggets, Pelicans, and Wolves. The hot teams, Rockets, Pacers, Hawks, and Celtics. Again, teams you want to keep your eye on. And, you know, every once in a while we'll start off the baseline by going over some hot and cold teams just to recap, you know, 
who you know it, what what's been going on, what teams have been doing well, what teams have been struggling in the association in the past couple of weeks, of course. And with that being said, that concludes today's edition of the baseline, and we will now move into our quasi full segment, um, the full court press. Get ready because it's time for the full court press. So in today's edition of the Full Court Press, we're going to be doing a kind of a running segment we did here on the 94 Feet Report before we changed into our newly segmented style show. We're going to be doing an awards race update. Um, I'm an analyst for NBA Lead, um, so check us out on Twitter, of course, and I do a, an awards race update video every month, and so I usually coincide it with doing an awards race update here for the podcast because obviously I think the same front runners. Um, are the same for both the podcast and the show. So we'll dive into each of the major awards, and I'll give some reasons about why I think that person or uh, is the front runner um, as of right now. And we'll just you know talk about it for a little bit uh, on today's edition of the Full Court Press. So I'm going to start off with Rookie of the Year, and uh, if you're not picking Joel Embiid, then something is wrong. Uh, again, these stats are accurate as of uh, this morning, so they might have changed today, of course. But Joel Embiid. 19.3 points per game, 7.4 rebounds per game, 2.4 blocks per game, shooting 38.4% on threes, and he's only playing 25 minutes per game because, again, if you remember, he had the uh, minutes restriction, and he still has it, but it's increased, but his minutes restriction was started at 25 minutes per game. Now it's moved up to 28 minutes per game. Still doesn't play all the back-to-backs. Of course, he's, he, he gets rested sometimes, so still has somewhat of a quasi-minutes limit uh, restriction. And because of that, it's important to look at his per 36-minute stats because they are just incredible. His per 36-minute stats, 27.7 points per game, 10.6 rebounds per game, 3.4 blocks per game. And he also has a 23.2 player efficiency rating. I mean, what more can you say? The 76ers are actually 6-7. Six, seven. six wins, 7 losses in their past 13 games. That's pretty good, I mean, for, for the 76ers. And again... Embiid's still on a minutes restriction. Just wait until he's off that minutes restriction. He'll just be tearing up the league if he stays healthy, hopefully. And interestingly enough, I'm actually working on an article for Hoops Habit um, ranking the, the the players age 22 and, and, and younger in the NBA. So that'll be coming out early next week. And, of course, you'll find it on my Twitter, at Eric Spiros. And Joel Embiid, of course, is a big part of that article, of course. So rookie of the year, Joel Embiid right now. In second place, I'd have to give it to uh, Malcolm Brogdon. He's just been a, a, a delight and a surprise in Milwaukee, playing a, a big role on a playoff team, uh, helping fill the void f- somewhat for Chris Middleton. And so, yeah. Uh, sixth man of the year. These awards are going to be coming uh, pretty Houston-centric in a little bit, but we'll start off with sixth man of the year. Um, I've got to give it to Eric Gordon. Um, his, his stats, 17.8 points per game, 3 assists per game, 2.7 rebounds per game, shooting 42% on 3-pointers. He actually leads the league in 3-pointers. I must repeat that again. He actually, Eric Gordon leads the league in 3-pointers. Not Steph Curry, not Clay Thompson, not whatever. Eric Gordon leads the league in 3-pointers. And actually, my first article for Hoops Habit, which came out last week, was uh, in more of an in-depth look at the career resurgence of Eric Gordon, who, you know, was a forgotten free agent signing. I mean, he signed a four-year $53 million deal with the Rockets. It was pretty much overlooked by Ryan Anderson, uh, Ryan Anderson's four-year $80 million deal with the Rockets, and it was overlooked because, you know, Gordon's been struggling with injuries, he's been on a losing team uh, in New Orleans for a long time, um, finally became an unrestricted free agent, because if you remember, he became a restricted free agent a couple years ago, signed with the Suns, but then the Pelicans, who were then the Hornets, matched that contract, so we, this was the first time he was an unrestricted free agent, chose to go to Houston with Ryan Anderson, play alongside James Harden under Mike D'Antoni, 
having a really great season, leading the league in three-pointers, a career resurgence, has stayed healthy so far. Eric Gordon for six men of the year. He plays a crucial role leading the second unit for the Rockets. Also does a great job playing alongside James Harden as well. So Eric Gordon for six men of the year as of right now. Most improved player of the year, the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, he's developing rapidly. I think he's developing even faster than most people expected. He's making that leap into being a, into being seriously mentioned in that top 10 player list. I mean, I think as of right now, if I was making a top 10 list of, of this season so far, I'd have to put Giannis on the list. I mean, he's leading the Bucks to the playoffs without Chris Middleton, who's their second or third, probably third with uh, third best player with Jabari Parker also emerging as well. And Parker is a serious candidate for most improved. Zach Levine is a serious candidate for most improved. But I got to go with Giannis because you look at these numbers, 24 points per game, 5.7 assists per game, 9 rebounds per game, 1.9 steals per game, and 2.1 blocks per game. I mean, it's really incredible. Uh, he has a chance to do something that no one else in history has ever done. If he puts up 24 points per game, 6 assists per game, 9 rebounds per game, and both 2 uh, steals and blocks per game, that will be never be done in history, which would be incredible. Uh, he's really he's just musty TV, uh, a one-man fast break. He's posting a 28.4 player efficiency rating and a 10.1 box plus minus. The advanced stats love him. The you know traditional stats love Yanni's. He hasn't even developed a, a shot yet. You know he, he is not a consistent shooter from uh, from deep, from beyond the arc, and you know from the mid range. And once he develops that, I think he'll be nearly unstoppable in the league. Um, and so, you know, because of the the Bucks' quasi success, a little he, their Bucks are a little bit better than most people expected, and because Giannis has just taken such a huge leap, and he's so fun to watch and such a fun guy, really. And he's Greek, and you know, I'm Greek. I gotta give gotta give some Greeks some love here. Um, I have Giannis at Nakupo, the Greek freak, as the most improved player of the year at this point. Again, I have to stress that these are my awards uh, front runners at this point, not predictions moving forward. These are if the if the season ended right now, who would I pick for all of the major awards? That's um, what this list essentially is, just to make sure everyone is, is, is clarified about that. Next one, we got Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, last time we did it, it was this player, and that still it still is this player. It's Rudy Gobert for me. Um, 2.6 blocks per game, leading the league. A 98 defensive rating, also leading the league. Uh, a 4.3 defensive box plus minus, um, and then a 2.8 defensive win share, which is also leading the league. So... He's leading the league in blocks per game. He's leading leading league in, in more advanced stats like defensive rating and defensive win shares and has a really great defensive box plus minus. And also the, the, the key thing I think about Gobert uh, for being defensive player of the year besides the obvious like, excellent defensive statistics is that the Jazz are the number three defensive team in the league and really close behind the number two. Um, I think it's the Grizzlies. The Jazz are the number three, number three defensive team in the league even though they've suffered so many injuries to guys like Derek Favors, George Hill, Alec Burks. I mean, they've suffered so many injuries, and yet they're, they're still a number three defensive team in the league. They're still a comfortable playoff team on pace for 50 wins, and a lot of that is because of Rudy Gobert, who's actually been playing really well uh, in his ex- somewhat expanded role in offense, but he's continued to be a defensive anchor for this team um, and is posting some of the best defensive st- stats in the league Um as evident by him leading, leading the league in a lot of defensive statistics. So, and because he's anchoring that a top three defense, which is basically what you need to do. Um, he, Rudy Gobert is my defensive player of the year. And of course, there are guys like Tony Allen who's emerged even more this season, especially with that really impressive win against the uh, Warriors. But it's just 
you know, as Gary Payton said on uh, the starters um, this past week, it's it's just nearly impossible for a guard to win defensive player of the year. It usually comes from a, a forward or, or a big man, Kawhi Leonard, or basically a center who's anchoring a, an elite defense, which is exactly what Rudy Gobert is doing. So for that matter, for that case, I have Rudy Gobert's defensive player of the year at this moment. Now let's move on. Let's return back to Houston for coach of the year. I mean, it's got to be Mike D'Antoni at this point. Um, the Rockets are 30-9. and nine. They're third in the West, only one game behind the Spurs for second in the West, and I think they're only two games behind the Warriors, or two and a half games behind the Warriors for the first for the best record in the league. Let me repeat that. The Rockets are only two and a half games behind the best record in the league. This is a team that, coming off 41 wins, had a you know a controversial offseason buying in all, all on the offensive end. A lot of people were trashing James Harden. A lot of people predicted the Rockets to sneak into the playoffs at the AC or miss it altogether. No one, absolutely no one expected this. Even Rockets fans, this is above and beyond their expectations because I am a Rockets fan and this is clearly above what I expected. Um, and, the, and the reason that Dan Tony's coach of the year, besides obviously leading the Rockets to the success, is that he's gotten Harden to buy into his system and new role. He's got the pieces that he's you know been given by Daryl Moore and they're filling in into place nicely. They've you know dealt really well with the loss of Clint Capella. Um, and, you know, they're uh, probably above expectations defensively. They're 16s in the league defensively, which is uh, probably better than most people expected. Third offensively, which is basically probably what people expected at top of the offense. And they're 30-9. and nine. Again, only one game behind the Spurs for second in the West. Only two or two and a half games behind the Warriors for the best record in the league. This is the Houston Rockets again. Remember that. We're not talking about the Spurs, not talking about the Clippers, not talking about the Raptors. We're talking about the Rockets here. Uh, Mike D'Antoni's got to be coach of the year right now. And I think in second place... You know, I just mentioned the Jazz. I have to give it to Quinn Snyder because, again, on pace for about 50 wins with all those injuries. Um, they've had a pretty tough schedule so far as well. So right now, Quinn Snyder would be second. But as of right now, Mike D'Antoni is a clear front runner for Coach of the Year for me. Um, and let's move on to the biggie, the uh, the award that's going to be causing a lot of conversation. Uh, it's probably the most going to be the most controversial award uh, given out this season. Uh, you got two passionate fan bases defending two pretty controversial players, I would say. Um, and, you know, I said it, I said the, the awards for me are going to be pretty Houston-centric, and that's what pretty you know pretty much gives it away. I'm, I'm still, as of right now, got James Harden as the front runner for MVP. And uh, there are a couple of reasons why. Again, we talked about the Rockets' unexpected success. Harden is, is leading the Rockets to a what should be now, they're, I think they're five games better than the Clippers, who are the four seed. So the Rockets are most likely going to finish as a top three seed. Again, only one game behind the Spurs for the second seed. So the Rockets could be a top three, possibly top two seed in the West. Again, we know that essentially that rule that MVPs come from a top two team that hasn't happened. Uh, an MVP hasn't come from a top two team in uh, over 30 years. So if the Rockets get the top, get the second seed in the West, you can almost forget about the MVP race at that point. But uh, even if Rockets finish at the third seed, that's still way above expectations. Um, I think Vegas had them at 41 wins. I think the most optimistic prediction for the Rockets I saw was 46 wins. Rockets are on pace for 63. Harden's stats are incredible. 27.9 points per game, 11.9 assists per game leading the league, 8.2 rebounds per game. Then you look into the advanced not advanced stats, he also has a league-leading 7.6 win share and specifically a, a league-leading 6 offensive win share. And he also has a 27.6 player efficiency rating. Again, all elite statistics, both traditional and advanced. And the thing is that Harden's only 
he's less than two rebounds short of averaging a triple-double, which obviously is the main argument for Russell Westbrook as MVP, but the Rockets are on pace for 63 wins. The Thunder are on pace for 49, 48, um, 48 wins, for that matter, I should say. Um, so, in my opinion, and w- which should be the opinion of the majority of people and, and will certainly most likely be the opinion of most of the members voting for MVP, those 11 to 12 more wins for the Rockets is certainly more important than two rebounds per game. Because think about it, if, if Harden was averaging the triple-double and the Rockets were having this success, no one would be even thinking about the MVP race. The main argument for Russ is that he's doing the triple-double, averaging a triple-double for the season and carrying so much um, you know, replacement-level talent for the Thunder. But, you know, the Rock, the Rockets, that those 11 to 12 more wins for the Rockets are, in my opinion, so much more important than the, than the two rebounds per game that Harden is short of averaging a triple-double. And now the, the, the argument that has also become really prominent in recent weeks is that Harden has a lot more help and uh, than, than Russell Westbrook in terms of uh, supporting cast. And, you know, that argument that Harden has more help, you know, may be true to an extent, but let's not get away, let's not get carried away with that argument because the Rockets have no all-stars around Harden. You know, as I said before about Eric Gordon, uh, guys like Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, they were kind of forgotten or passed on players, especially in free agency. You know, the Rockets signed the deals for Anderson and Gordon, and most people, the most people, you know, commented on those deals was the amount of money that they gave to Anderson specifically. Um, they didn't comment like, wow, um, you know, significant signing, sports center breaking news, Rockets signed Eric Gordon. That wasn't the case at all. Harden is leading a team of essentially, you know, quote-unquote forgotten or passed on players like Gordon, Anderson, Beverly, guys like that, um, to this pace of 63 wins. that The injury to Clint Capella has not stopped the Rockets. Now, right now, the Rockets' starting center rotation is Nene, who everyone forgot in the offseason. He signed for the... Uh, um, he signed for the mid-level exception of less than $3 million. And Montrez Harrell, a second-round pick in the 2015 draft. Those are the That's the center rotation. Ryan Anderson and Sam Decker are the power forward rotation. Corey Brewer plays significant minutes on the Rockets, and he is a well-below-average player in the NBA. Beverly has missed already more than 10 games. Uh, this, these are The Rockets don't have some kind of superior Warriors-like cast around Harden. Let's not get carried away with this argument that Harden has so much more help um, and yes, the Rockets do not do terribly when Harden leaves the game, um, but that's because they've they've staggered the minutes with Beverly and Gordon to play well, and Gordon's the sixth man of the year for a reason. He's stepping up. Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, uh, speaking of Gordon Anderson, the, the biggest reason, I, I think, besides obviously the fact that they're hitting their shots, the big reason that Gordon's leading the league in threes and Anderson is shooting a career high on threes is because of the quality looks they get from Harden drawing attention. I mean, you watch a Rockets game, and Harden gets some such great open looks, and of course, D'Antoni's offensive brilliance draws up these plays, And but the, the attention that Harden gets driving to the lane, you know, posting up, isolating, gets Gordon, Anderson, Ariza, Beverly, all these guys such great looks. There's a reason why Gordon is leading the league in threes now in Houston, and Anderson is shooting a career high on threes now in Houston instead of in the, the previous seven to eight years they were both in the league. It's because of the attention Harden gets and draws. And really, when talking about supporting casts, Russ still has Oladipo, who who is a, a really great uh, two-guard. Steven Adams is arguably better than Clint Capella. Enos Cantor coming off the bench. They've got a great coach in Billy Donovan. They've got a, a lot of pieces there. And really, does Harden really have 11 to 12 wins worth difference in supporting casts? And what I mean by that is, 
as I mentioned before, one of the key arguments that the Rockets are essentially on pace for about 12 to 13 more wins than the Thunder. Is the Rockets' supporting cast around Harden that much better than the supporting cast around Westbrook that it's worth 12 to 13 wins? Because, no, I would say certainly not. Again, the Rockets do not have any all-stars around Harden. There are no players on the Rockets that were all-stars or look like they're going to become all-stars in the future. Okay, Harden does not have that much of a better supporting cast. That argument, while true to an extent, does not in any way, you know, should not in any way be used as the main argument for Russ over Harden. Um, especially in 2015 when Harden was the one carrying the, the, the poor supporting cast and Steph Curry was the one with the superior teammates around him and Curry won, uh, wound up winning the MVP pretty comfortably. And then the players, of course, voted Harden as the MVP. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be the most controversial award race this season. But as of right now, I've got James Harden as my front runner. And just to recap, um, today's edition of the Full Court Press, uh, these are my awards race um, front runners at this moment. Joel Embiid for Rookie of the Year. Eric Gordon for Sixth Man of the Year. Giannis Ndendokupo for my Most Improved Player of the Year. Rudy Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year. Mike D'Antoni for Coach of the Year. And James Harden. For MVP, and with that, that will conclude uh, today's edition of the Full Court Press, and we will move on to the Half Court Heave. And now the Half Court Heave. So the Half Court Heave again, just it's a really quick segment because it's essentially just a prediction. Uh, for the next week or month of the season, um, or just going forward, really. Um, there's no really timetable on the prediction, but again, it's just a prediction that we like to do, test our prediction-making ability, my prediction-making abilities, and like I like to look back on predictions I've made, of course. So today's edition of the Half Court Heave is that the Pistons will make the playoffs. So the Detroit Pistons, currently the 11th seed at 17-21, and 21. Um, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. They're two games back of the A seed as of right now, they are ninth defensively in the league, 21st offensively in the league. You know, I, I have too much faith in, in Stan Van Gundy, Reggie Jackson, Drummond, and their supporting cast uh, for them to miss the playoffs. I predict them to be a comfortable playoff team. They made it last year at 44 wins, and uh, I was expecting an improvement up to, you know, 47 to 48 wins. It clearly looks like they're going to be fighting for that AC for the entire season. I thought when they would got... I thought when they got Reggie Jackson back that they would, you know, go full speed ahead, but it has not been the case. They've been struggling significantly more since they've got Reggie Jackson back. But I have too much faith in their players and Stan Van Gundy. Again, it's a really, it's a good defensive team. They're top 10 defensively. They're just bottom 10 offensively. If they can just even out a little bit, I think that the East is so weak that the Pistons will make the playoffs. And sticking with my prediction from before the season started that the Detroit Pistons will make the playoffs. And that is today's edition of the Half Court Heave. Now we will get to our second quasi-main segment of the show. It will be our three points. And now, here are the three points. So again, if you missed our previous episodes, three points is basically... We're now at the three-point line of the NBA court. Again, traveling the 94 feet as we cover the past week or so in the NBA. Uh, three points. Now we're at the three-point line, and essentially just three random points on on topics that I've seen either on NBA Twitter, topics that have come into my head, performances I've watched, etc. And we'll start off with 
again talking about the Rockets because they they are one of the biggest stories of the league so far. The career uh, slash reputation resurgence of Mike D'Antoni has just been a joy to watch. Um, you know, people tend to focus on his kind of quote unquote you know failures in in the in New York and L.A. Um, but the thing that people often overlook is that. You know, those teams, it's now being proven as the Rockets have had this much success with James Harden buying in as D'Antoni's point guard, um, or point god for that matter. <laughs> um, sorry, that was just a cheesy joke. Um, people tend to focus on those Nick and Laker kind of failures, but the, they don't focus on the fact that they just did not have the right personnel for how Mike D'Antoni w- wants to run a team. Carmelo Anthony, a isolation ball-hugging wing, is not what Mike D'Antoni needs on his team. You saw when Jeremy Lin exploded for Lin Senate. They rock, the Knicks won games. They were playing Mike D'Antoni's way of ball. Melo comes back and says, no, this is my team. I don't want Jeremy Lin getting the attention. Go back to losing ways. It and obviously ends ugly in New York. Then he goes to L.A. He, he's brought in midseason, or actually in the beginning of the season, but he does not have a training camp to prepare his roster for the way he wants to play. He's got an injury-riddled Steve Nash. A, a guy in Dwight Howard who wants post-ups, and we obviously know Mike D'Antoni does not enjoy post-ups. Um, and you got an aging Kobe Bryant that eventually was just worn down and got injured, and then the next season was just a disaster there. And, you know, the problem is that people tend to focus on those failures in New York and L.A. They focus on those failures over the Suns' success, and he had really great success with the Suns. Back to, you know, he had 60 win seasons twice. He made conference finals twice. Um... You know, he obviously ran into uh, the Spurs, uh, I believe, four times in the playoffs. And, you know, he he just could not get over the hump of get, making the NBA Finals, which I think would have kind of validated him. But now he has Harden buying in. He's got shooters. He's got the personnel to play his system. Mike D'Antoni's style of play. He's got the personnel for it. And they're on a 63-win pace. So it goes to show you, he did it in Phoenix when he had the personnel he wanted and was suited for his style. He does, he's now doing it in Houston, which he has the personnel and you know players for his uh, play style. And even now in Houston, he actually has a GM in front office that's really bought in on that on uh, Mike D'Antoni's style of play. Um, and he's having success when he doesn't have the, the when he has the wrong personnel, a la in New York and in LA, he does not have success. It's, it's as simple as that. And even then, Golden State validated Mike D'Antoni's kind of philosophy and the way he pl- wants to play when they won that tie when they won that title. Uh, in 2015, playing a very similar brand of basketball. Alvin Gentry, who was an assistant coach at that time, even said it. Listen, this validates Mike D'Antoni's philosophy and ideas because we're playing very similar to how he he did in Phoenix. So it's just been a joy to watch the career and reputation resurgence of Mike D'Antoni in Houston alongside the career and reputation resurgence of James Harden, who took a serious hit last season when the Rockets were extremely disappointing, left off all NBA teams, Rockets barely made the playoffs, etc. The feud with Dwight Howard and stuff like that. So the career and reputation resurgence of Mike D'Antoni and James Harden so far in Houston has been a joy to watch, um, and it's just great to have them both succeeding in basketball, especially Mike D'Antoni. He's a really great guy, really fun guy. He's a good coach, and uh, he's proving it this season. He's proving it really when he has the right personnel who wants to play his system and a management you know, slash front office that believes in his style of play that he can have success. So that's the first of our three points today. The second of our three points will be talking about overreactions and specifically overreactions to single games. Now, uh, we talked about this on the show uh, previously, uh, essentially that, um, you know, 
we talked about it as a, it was a, one of our something foul segments about uh, two weeks ago, I believe. Um, essentially, that you know, the NBA is the perfect league for overreactions, especially on you know national TV games, Christmas games, etc., stuff like that. Uh, the NBA is is the perfect kind of uh, example of just overreaction league because you know there are so many games. It's not like football where you know one game is really you know, significant because there's only 16 games. You know, you can really overreact to an NBA game because it's one of 82 games for that matter. And um, so we've already talked about this, but I wanted to talk about it again because the Warriors lost to the Grizzlies after choking. A, I believe it was a 30, a 20, excuse me, a 24 point lead. Um, and the thing is that the thing with Warriors losses, and I don't like the Warriors, so I mean, you know, I appreciate their style of play. I enjoy watching them, but they are a Rockets rival. They, uh, you know, they, you know, went out. They won a title, then they won 73 games. You know, blew a 3-1 lead, and then of course gets Kevin, get got Kevin Durant in free agency. So, you know. It's pretty unfair for the rest of the other teams. Obviously, their their, their luck and you know just the way they are. But every time Golden State loses, I see new quote unquote theories. You know about why they won't win the title. You know, it's like one loss, and it's like oh they got chemistry issues. They're not going to win the title. Believe me. Or oh you know fitting Katie and fitting fitting Kevin Durant into the system is, is a lot harder than they expected. They're not going to win the title for that reason. Or like oh they don't have a clutch go to guy anymore. Now that Katie's here and he's taking all the shots. Or, oh, Steph hates KD, and Steph is angry at Steve Kerr for not giving him the clutch shots. Oh, and oh, Draymond Green is angry at all of them for not playing the Warriors' brand of basketball. And oh, they've got this problem. Oh, they got that problem. That's why they're not going to win the title. That's why they'll be lucky to make the finals. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just such overreactions. Again, it's the regular season. The point is for them to experiment figure things out. They're going to give it to Kevin Durant. If he's not performing the clutch, they will change their system. I believe in Steve Kerr as a coach. I believe in that coaching staff. They will They will know. You ride the hot hand some games. If, if Kevin Durant doesn't get it done, they can go to Steph Curry. Maybe go to Klay Thompson. It's the regular season. The point of the regular season for the elite teams. Now, the point of the regular season, obviously, you win games, blah, 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 or for some teams to not win games to get a better draft pick. But the, the regular season, the point of the regular season for the truly elite teams, Golden State, Cleveland, basically even San Antonio, is to experiment and figure things out so that when you get to the playoffs, you already know what works, what doesn't work, how to play the game, exactly how you want to play it in order to succeed. That's what the Warriors are doing. They're experimenting. It's the regular season. It's January. They lost the game to Memphis. Okay, whoop de doo The concerning thing probably is that they're choking a lot of leads, big leads in fourth quarters. That's probably the most concerning thing. But don't give me all these chemistry issue theories and stuff like that as to why they won't win the title just because they lost one game. You gotta relax, take a step back, realize that it's the regular season after all, and that they're experimenting, figuring things out. Again, they're still thirty-one and six, and they're playing tonight, so they might be thirty-two and six by the end of the night. They're still thirty-one and six on pace for sixty-nine wins, and we're going crazy every time they lose because they're a super team. They just added Kevin Durant. They got four all stars, four star players, though Clay Thompson has not been playing like that this year, but you know, we go crazy when super teams lose. It was like the Heat. You know, we, we, we were rooting for their losses, and then they started off like 9-8 and eight or something, and people going crazy, you know, oh, they're not going to be successful. The Warriors are 31-6. and six. Let's not overreact every single time they lose, please. I don't want to hear any more theories about why they won't win the title because they lose a game in January, or they lose a game in December, or they lose a game in November or, or March. It's all about the playoffs. The regular season is for them to experiment and figure things out. Let's stop overreacting to single games. I know it's the biggest and best tradition in the NBA is to overreact to single games, especially if they're on national television so a bigger audience can see them. But let's stop overreacting to single game uh, results, please, especially for the Warriors. Thank you very much.
And the third one is somewhat related to that Warriors-Grizzlies uh, game. Um, the third point this week is that Tony Allen is still a delight. Uh, you know, Tony Allen's been a great defender for so many years. He's getting up there in age, but the age is seriously not stopping him. Versus Golden State in that comeback for the Grizzlies in that overtime win on the road in Oracle. Allen had 11 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 steals. Played some really, really good defense on Curry and Thompson, um, even on Durant. He was just everywhere uh, down the stretch leading the Grizzlies to that win, um, especially on the defensive end. And he, he was, you know... Um, shouting things like I don't he like shouted something like I don't need no help to guard Steph Curry or something and then he makes a play and he goes first team all defense he's just such a delight to watch he's kind of like a bigger older version of Patrick Beverly I could totally see Beverly being this player you know in a couple of years so and I love Patrick Beverly so obviously I've got to love Tony Allen he's been, he's been playing really great he's second in defensive real plus minus among shooting guards in the league I believe first is Kyle Anderson for the Spurs, who actually does he only plays like 13 minutes a game. So, you know, Allen really technically is first among his defensive R- RPM, real plus minus, among shooting guards. Um, he's averaging a career-high 5.5 rebounds per game, and he's averaging 10.2 points per game, which is second best for his career. Um, so he's getting things done offensively. Um, I believe Matt Moore on Twitter pointed out that, you know, Allen has been surprisingly surprisingly under the radar good, uh, good offensively not getting enough recognition for it. he's been obviously a, being a great rebounder this year career high in rebounds per game and Allen is still a big part of that Grizzlies number two defense and that grit and grind style of play that they still use you know they went out and signed Parsons and got Troy Daniels who's actually you know doing well but they got Parsons Ennis Troy Daniels they got shooters in and yet the Grizzlies are still winning games with their grit and grind using that number two defense which is led by guys like Conley. Mike Conley, of course, has been playing excellent. Marcus Hall has been excellent. Zach Randolph has been very good off the bench and is in contention, serious contention, along with Lou Williams for six men of the year. I forgot to mention that in my awards segment, but Tony Allen is still such a delight. Just that hard-nosed worker, great defender, um, trash trash talker. Uh, uh, just Yeah, so because of, you know, I was watching that Grizzlies-Warriors game and I just had to write it down, you know, Tony Allen is still such a delight to watch, especially on the defensive end and the way he trash talks and gets into people's heads, you know, Patrick Beverly's one of my favorite players on the Rockets and in the league, and Tony Allen is a similar player to Beverly, um, probably a a little bit better, obviously, than Beverly, but Tony Allen is still a delight to watch, so those are my three points this week, the uh, Mike D'Antoni, James Harden career resurgence, the overreactions to single games, and then Tony Allen is still a delight. That is this week's edition of the three points, and now we will get to our something foul. Now it's time for something foul. Again, something foul. If you missed previous episodes of the of the the show, is basically replacing worst of the week. So each week we will pick a topic, a player, a coach, a team, and organization something related to the NBA that has done wrong or has just had a really bad week in my opinion or just a bad running you know a couple of years in this case but something foul is a negative uh, connotation but this week's edition of something foul is TNT's inside the NBA game show so TNT obviously has the third the Thursday night game sometimes they get Tuesdays um, sometimes you know special holidays like Martin Luther King Day and stuff like that um, and obviously they have a show called Inside the NBA, led by Ernie Johnson. You've got Shaq, Kenny, the Jet Smith, and Charles Barkley as the analysts, and Ernie's the host. It comes on before the first game, halftime first game, after the first game. 
halftime second game after the second game they this is where you probably see Shaqton in a fool if you see Shaqton in a fool um and so there are some funny things that come out of it i love Shaqton in a fool i'm gonna say i love Shaqton in a fool it's fun entertaining nice little segment but and i know that some people love tnt's inside the nba um but in my opinion, I think their analysis is, is not only old-fashioned and misleading, but it's so shallow because these guys, these big-time guys, Shaq, Charles Barkley, they don't really watch, you know, all the teams that they, you know, give analysis on. They they probably get filtered analysis from someone else because their their analysis is so shallow, you know. They're only, basically the only analysis for the Rockets, oh, they're a jump-shooting team. Like, what do they do? Everyone knows they shoot threes, but... They also have the fourth most efficient half-court offense in the NBA. They don't just rely on run-and-gun shooting threes. Like, I just find the analysis on TNT's inside the NBA to be shallow, old-fashioned, and misleading, and they joke so much. I mean, it's so hard to get concrete, consistent, good analysis from that show because almost every other minute they're joking around about Barkley's career or Shaq's career or making fun of Ernie or... Shaq in a fool, or I mean, this past Thursday when the Rockets and Thunder were on TNT, they were at a technology exhibition. They were jump playing around with technology, and it was cool to see the technology. But they were doing analysis while in massage chairs and joking around, laughing. I mean, they don't provide concrete, good, in-depth analysis for the most part of the show. They're joking around. They do a couple of ana- segments of analysis, blah blah blah. Usually say something that's either short-sighted, shallow, or, or just straight up wrong. Um, they get into feuds. You know, Barkley and Dale Moore have gotten at it a long time about their analytics feud. And um, the problem I have, I wouldn't be putting them on something foul if it wasn't for the fact that this is the analysis show or the, the, the game show um, that most casual fans see. Most casual fans, you know, tune into the NBA once or twice a week, probably catch the TNT games because they're usually good games or usually big teams and stuff like that. This is the analysis show that most casual fans see. And it doesn't provide them good coverage or analysis of the NBA. Yeah, it provides you some laughs and some good jokes and it provides you some, you know, Hall of Fame players to give analysis, but they don't really give good analysis. They give shallow, old-fashioned, and sometimes misleading or straight-up wrong analysis. They joke around so much and it's the analysis show that most casual fans see. If I was the NBA and Adam Silver, like, I know that it, there are legendary players giving analysis and Aaron Johnson is a good host, but for the most part, if I... If I knew that this casual fans were tuning in to watch this for their analysis of the NBA, I would be concerned. There are so many better basketball brains out, brains and analysis, analysts. Sorry, basketball brains and analysts out there for them, you know, to have an NBA analysis show for casual fans to see. Because casual fans, when they tune into Inside the NBA, they'll get the jokes. They'll get to see Shaq, Kenny, and Charles give some ideas. I wouldn't even call it analysis, really. Um, but they're not getting good coverage or an analysis of the NBA so for that matter TNT is inside the NBA has been frustrating me for a while I usually avoid watching it um, I will just try and tune in as soon as the game starts and then turn it off when the game ends and avoid halftime um, but just hit me that most casual fancy inside the NBA as their you know for their coverage and analysis of the NBA and for that reason TNT's inside the NBA is our something foul of the week and we will conclude in a little bit with our and one segment It's time for the M1. So our and one segment is a short little segment to cap off the episode. And essentially, it's just something to look forward to 
in the coming week, weeks or months of the NBA season. Usually I try and keep it a little bit more short-sighted because I like to start off the next week's episode. Um, I like to start off the baseline of the next week by reviewing what we talked about in the and one of the previous week. So today's edition of the and one will be the Oklahoma City Thunder January schedule because the Oklahoma City Thunder are an interesting team. Obviously, they're led by Russell Westbrook, an MVP contender and frontrunner for a lot of people. And for that matter, their January schedule becomes even that more important for Russ's MVP chances, their playoff standings and seedings, um, and then therefore their season. Uh, I really think that the o- the Thunder's January schedule will define not only the Thunder's season, but also Russ's MVP chances. And I say this because the Thunder are now 1-3 so far in January. They lost to the Bucks, Hornets, and Rockets, and they've beaten the Nuggets. And the thing is that 9 of the next 11 games for the Thunder are on the road. And let me read you some of these games. The Out of those 9 uh, on the road, they've got at the Clippers, at the Warriors, at the Jazz, at the Cavs, or the Cavaliers, and at the Spurs. Those are five games on the road against good, some elite teams, and then some solid playoff teams, um, especially in the West. So that really makes a difference for their you know playoff seedings and standings. Um, so if they struggle, if they fall behind that you know 48 win pace, let's say they, you know, let's say they lose most of those games, Russ's MVP chances take a hit. The Thunder playoff seeding take a hit. You know they could. Put themselves. They're not going to go to the AC because the AC is just an absolute joke in the West this season. But they could find themselves in the seventh seed and have to face the face the Spurs, maybe the Rockets. They really the Thunder would really want to get to that fifth seed if they want to have a good shot, you know, for for you know longer playoff success. If they fall in that seven or six seed, they're probably going to be in trouble. And of course, the win pace for the Thunder is a big part of Russ's MVP chances. Even if he averages a triple double for the season. And some of his averages are coming down. I think he's down to 10.3 assists per game um, and 10.4, 10.5 rebounds per game. If he, Even if he averages a triple over the season, if the Thunder only win 46, 47 wins, 48 wins, you know, if they don't get to that 50 win mark, it's going to be increasingly hard for him to win MVP, especially when Harden and the Rockets will comfortably probably win at least 55 games, maybe even 60 at this point. Um, so again, the Thunder's... January schedule is really hard. 9 of 11 on the road, including 5 of them against really, really good teams on the road. The Thunder's January schedule will not only define their season, but also Westbrook's MVP chances. And for that reason, that that schedule is our and one segment of today's show. And that will conclude today's edition of the 94 Feet Report. Again, recording on January 8th, but you're listening on January 9th. Um, again, I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros to get in, uh, all information for the podcast. And then you can find out my other work for the Dream Shake on SB Nation, Hoops Habit on Fansighted, and NBA Lead. Uh, check out all of our previous episodes on iTunes and Stitcher and our Blog Talk Radio page or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and of course, check out our sponsors Fan Essentials, use promo code 94Feet at checkout for 30% off. And Daily Fantasy Nerd, uh, get some great daily fantasy tools there as well. So that is uh, the end of today's edition of the 94 Feet Report. Again, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at the 94 Feet Report to get our updates for the show. Check out our previous episodes. We will be back on Friday for Episode 7 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report, hopefully with a guest. Um, And, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. Hope you guys have a great week enjoying some NBA basketball. Take care, guys.